0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode number one hundred and eighteen of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. We've got a special treat for you on today's show. We'll be joined by Rhode Island offensive lineman and East-West Shrine Bowl standout, Kyle Murphy. But before we chat with Kyle about a myriad
2: of topics, Tony, how's post-senior bowl life treating you? It's calmed down, thankfully. I mean, you know, two weeks of traveling, first the Shrine game and then the Senior Bowl. And the Senior Bowl is kind of tough because the Senior Bowl is four full days of traveling. We leave Monday morning, get there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, practice, Uh, you know, leave after practice Thursday. You really don't get home until early, early in the morning on Friday. So it's a bit of a grind, the Senior Bowl. And uh, it'll be nice to have four weeks, not off, but four weeks without traveling before uh, I take off for the Combine.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of the Senior Bowl, please go back and check out our podcasts from last week. We recorded seven in total. They're about 20 minutes apiece, so not too long, especially if you listen to your podcasts on faster speeds than normal. We have breakdowns of each practice except the final one on Thursday and a wrap-up for both the offense and the defense. As I said, you can get through them quickly, so please go back and and listen to those. They are chock-full of information. Moving on, though, Tony published an article earlier this week putting a bow on the practice week down in Mobile. The theme of this article, receivers and small schoolers rising up draft boards after the senior bowl. We were impressed with several receivers down there during the week. Denzel Mims of Baylor was near the top of the list. We certainly weren't alone in praising Mims. A lot of scouts think that he could now go top 60 if he runs well in Indy. Florida's Van Jefferson is another guy scouts think has a shot at the second day of the draft after his performance. And edge rusher Bradley Inay from Utah – really impressed as a pass rusher off the edge, really impressive rush moves, good athleticism, but he doesn't come without concerns. Tony, break down what you're hearing on this trio.
2: You know, let's first start with Mims, who we both saw and who we both raved about in our podcast from the Senior Bowl. You watched him in the Big 12, and he was a big sort of game-controlling receiver, and like big game-controlling receivers that come from the Big 12, whether it be the Hakeem Butlers, whether it be the Allen Lazards, the question about Mims was his quickness, his speed, and his ability to separate. And I think he showed all those things at the senior ball, which is why I'm hearing if he runs a good 40 time, and a good 40 time for Mims is in the low 4-4s, four there's a very good chance that he hops into the second day of the draft. I'm told he's probably going to run in the four threes. What we loved about Mims was the way he uses his hands to separate from opponents. I mean, he looks like an offensive lineman with the way he jolts defensive backs off the line and is able to separate for him. If you followed us on Twitter, you followed me on Twitter, I mentioned during Thursday's practice uh, that he actually got called for pass interference for overuse of his hands. I later learned that actually, even though the official threw the flag, the official later admitted that that was a mistake because it happened within the first five yards. And while it would have been a, a, a penalty on the college level, on the college uh, side of things, it would have been a penalty in the NFL. So what I'm hearing from Mims is scouts love what they saw from him all three days of practice at the senior ball. If he runs in the low four fours, high four threes, which I'm hearing he's going to do, He's going to jump into the second day of the draft. I'm hearing a similar thing about Van Jefferson. Now, Jefferson is a guy who I liked going back to uh, his early college days when he played at Mississippi. I always thought he was a legitimate NFL prospect. He's a smaller guy, but he's quick. He gets separation through his routes and through his quick feet and and his ability to basically fire into routes and stay low on exit. He catches the ball very well. Doesn't have the same size as Mims. I see him more as a slot receiver return specialist but scouts were a little bit higher than I was on him coming out of the senior bowl. I'm hearing the same thing with Van Jefferson. If he runs well at the combine and running well for a Van Jefferson means in the low four fours, there's a good chance that he can jump into the second day of the draft. Now that being the case, uh, since I've been back from the senior bowl, I've been doing all my SEC film work. I did Alabama already. I did Florida. I think it would be very hard for uh, Jefferson to really break into low 4 force. I would be surprised because he looks more like a 4-5-2 guy, 4-4-9 guy. Bradley and A, again, the thing they didn't they were concerned about with Bradley and A was his arms were less than 32 inches. Uh, and, and they don't like that for a pass rusher because he's got to keep the offensive lineman away using his hands. Also, he's got to get his arms up and bat away the uh, the passes but they love his athleticism. They like his agility. They like his ability to rush the edge and, and some inside moves. They like his ability really standing over tackle. So I think Mims, Jefferson, and Inay really came out of the Senior Bowl as big winners.
1: Now, those weren't the only players that came out of the Senior Bowl as winners. We're going to look on the small school side now. Now, there were fewer players from FCS and Divisions 2 and 3 at this year's Senior Bowl than there really seemed to have been in years past. But the ones that were there were highly impressive. St. John's Minnesota offensive lineman Ben Barch fit right in immediately with the high-end competition in Mobile. He could end up in the top 100. Safeties Kyle Duggar of Lenore Rhine and Jeremy Chin of Southern Illinois also boosted their stocks in Mobile. There were a couple of the top defensive backs there and what was really a weak secondary class overall at the position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Barch, again, we both saw him. We both talked about him. Even if you go back to our preview before we got down to Mobile, I said about Barch that if he leaves the senior bowl, making scouts believe he can play left tackle at the next level, his draft stock is going to rise. And that's exactly what he did. He had some bumps in the road. We saw a couple of times where he got beat. But for the most part, you know, he's not just a guy that got by on size on the small school level You saw terrific fundamentals. You saw a guy who would bend his knees, stay square, keep the defender in front of him. A guy who used angles incredibly well. Same thing with body positioning. he has got to get a little bit stronger. Obviously he's got to get used to the speed at the next level, or at least the speed, of the senior ball, which he seemed to do a, a pretty good job of. But again, as far as Barch is concerned, I'm hearing top 100 picks. If he's not off the board by the end of day two, he's probably going to come off the board right now, the way it stands at the beginning of day three. Granted, He's got to go through the testing and you got to see some athleticism out of him. We both thought that Duger and Chin played very well. In fact, as you said, I mean, they were some of the best of what was a bad bunch. Uh, I was especially impressed with Chin with his coverage skills because he wasn't just a guy who made plays up the field. He was a guy who showed the ability to make plays when the ball was in the air, Showed good recognition, show good lateral movement skills. Duger. We kept hearing things about every day about how teams liked him. And, and Duger has got excellent size. He's got real good speed. Had some injuries last year at Lenore Rhyme. Didn't finish uh, the end of the season. Uh, but really, he went to the senior bowl and he did what small school players are supposed to do. The Antonio Cromartis of the world, that type of player. He's not going to in the first round like Antonio Cromartie, But Duger and Chin, right now, you're looking at as top 100 picks. The one thing I heard about Chin, the one concern is – how does he test? He looks like he's a guy who's going to run the four sixes. If he runs in the four sixes, he's going to fall into the middle of day three. If he runs faster, he's probably going to fall into that fourth round area.
1: Now, Tony, you didn't write about this in your article over at Pro Football Network, but were there any players that scouts had concerns with leaving Mobile?
2: Terrence Steele of Texas Tech, who we both saw get beat often at the senior ball. The word on Steele is he's going to go to the combine and he's going to test off the roof. But scouts were just not impressed with his playing. They think he's a better athlete than he is a football player. They were not impressed with his balance. The fact he seemed hunched over. He was getting beat outside. He was getting beat inside. So I, I think what's going to happen is what people believe is after the combine, Terrence Steele is going to test through the roof. Everybody's going to fall in love with him. But when they watch the film, when they watch the senior bowl film especially, you know it, everything's going to come back down to earth, and he's probably going to be a late-round pick.
1: Yeah, for the level of athlete that Steele is reportedly going to test out as he really didn't show that in terms of getting to the edge. He definitely didn't show a strong anchor or the ability to beat power and really keep rushers off his quarterback or out of the backfield. So I don't know. There were some people down there that did like what they saw from Terrence Steele, and he did get some positive reviews, but those reviews definitely weren't coming from us.
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, because he he seemed to be tripping over his feet at times. He didn't show much in the way of balance. He just didn't play like a big athletic offensive tackle.
1: Now, as promised, we'll chat with Kyle Murphy in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you enjoy football and you have a heartbeat, then you know what's coming, the Super Bowl.
2: Want to make a bet on it? Head on over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. Whether
1: you're choosing the winner or making a side bet with a friend, MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes extra cash easy and fast. You can even visit mybookie.ag/party to access a printable prop sheet for the
2: big game. Football not your jam? No worry. MyBookie's got it all, from the NBA to the Premier League. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1000. That means if you deposit $2000, you'll get an extra $1,000, one grand, and free money to play with.
1: All you have to do is use our promo code B L V to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie.
2: MyBookie. Play, win, and get paid.
1: And we're back and privileged to be joined by offensive lineman Kyle Murphy from Rhode Island. Kyle's coming off a great week in St. Petersburg, Florida at the East West Shrine Bowl. Kyle? Welcome to The Draft Analyst, and it's great to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And we'll kind of start from the beginning here with your journey. You played some high school ball in Massachusetts, got several offers out of high school, but mostly from FCS schools in the Northeast. Did you get any interest from FBS schools or anybody kind of outside that region? And why in the end did you choose Rhode Island?
0: Yeah, I mean, coming out of high school... um I got recruited uh, kind of late. I was overlooked by a lot of schools, uh, especially FBS. I didn't really get any FBS uh, interest, and uh, most of the schools that offered me were CAA schools. So um, I only had four offers. So my my choices were kind of limited. But um, you know, it came down to URI or UNH, and um, I chose URI because I wanted to go to a building program because I know. They were struggling for years and um, kind of just to change the culture of that program and, you know, start new.
1: Now, you also played some hoops in high school. I did, yeah. I assume you were a big man. How did that background, especially with things like footwork in the post and, and stuff like that, help you out on the football field?
0: I mean, to me, uh, a lot of the footwork translated perfectly as an offensive lineman and, um you know, it helped me out because I know a lot of college coaches, when they're recruiting, they like watching your basketball games especially. So, I mean, just showing them I was uh, I was able to move side to side. Uh, that definitely helped out translating to football.
2: Let me ask you, Kyle, freshman and sophomore season at URI, you're playing primarily left guard and right tackle, yeah. and then you take over for Dino Boyd at left tackle. Dino Boyd, the former Cincinnati transfer. Did any coaches talk to you about the versatility, about being about playing different uh, positions d- during the Shrine Game interviews?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was uh, one of the more important things that we talked about with the scouts and everything. It was just my versatility and how I was able to bounce around from position to position. And I think, personally, that really helped me out, just knowing the overall um, – Kind of just having an awareness for every position and being able to adapt to every position.
2: Which position are you most comfortable with? Because I know sometimes, you know, when a guy's playing right tackle and he's, he moves over to left tackle, it, it, the, the stance really, you know, kind of is it, tough to, to get attuned to. Is there one of those positions, whether it be the left or right tackle or the guard spot, that you feel most comfortable with?
0: Uh, yeah, I feel most comfortable probably with either of the guard spots, but um, just be, being able to play center. And being, being comfortable with it, that really helped me out.
1: Now, Dino Boyd eventually found himself in NFL camps with the Chiefs as a 2019 UDFA. Did you learn anything from either watching or talking to Boyd? And was anybody else sort of a mentor for you during your first couple seasons at URI?
0: Yeah, I mean, Dino was always one of the older guys I looked up to, especially first coming in URI. Just because his style of play uh, kind of reminded me of mine, just his like relentlessness, playing, always playing whistle to whistle. And especially at the tackle spot, he was just always a patient player. Uh, he used his hands well. And obviously, he had great feet. So, I mean, I really just tried to soak in as much as I could from him and a lot of the older guys when I first came in.
2: Now, Boyd signed a future contract with the Bears, and he's now listed on the roster. Do you speak with him anymore? Do you, do you get any more pointers from him? Do you have any of a relationship with him?
0: Yeah, we do stay in touch all the time, Um you know we're we're always we always have each other's back and all that, and um I mean, especially with me, um he's somebody that I can go to if I ever have any questions about the process because he's already been through all this, and he knows the ropes and he knows the the long year I have ahead of me, especially going into my rookie season trying to make a team and all that, so I mean, I appreciate all the help he does because um he's definitely a close friend that I could always ask anything.
1: Now, earlier this year on this podcast in October, we talked about your game against Virginia Tech, a game which really was much closer than the score would tell you if you didn't actually watch the game. Yeah. What was it like playing in that atmosphere in Blacksburg?
0: It was actually incredible. I didn't even um, really take it all in until I watched like some old like re- of replays after the game. Because obviously, when you're in the zone and everything, you treat it like any other game and any other opponent. But, I mean, it was a good experience, especially going uh, down there and playing them. And just, I mean, the biggest thing with me was just proving myself with competition because, I mean, obviously we're from the SCS and um, that's always on the scouts um, list of critiques is whether I can handle competition and all that. So, I mean, that was just a great experience going there. And I feel like I had a great game against them.
2: Now, have you ever had an experience like that? You know, that sort of setting before?
0: Um, I wouldn't say exactly like that. I mean, we played FBS opponents in the past. We played uh, UConn, Ohio, and um, Central Michigan. But just that atmosphere alone was definitely a lot different because that, that place was packed.
2: Let me ask you. Now you play in CAA, which is a real good conference, but was there a discernible difference in the opponents you faced on the line of scrimmage when you went up against Virginia Tech? Was it, you know, was there something that you could feel that, yeah, maybe these guys are at a different level?
0: I mean, to me personally, there wasn't much of a difference. I mean, it's the difference the biggest difference that I saw was probably just the size. But I mean, with competition wise I treated it like any other game I obviously preparing for. it, But, um, I mean, to me, the CAA is so competitive. And um, there was players on that field that I see every week in the CAA. So, to me, it really wasn't that much of a difference.
1: Now, it's been kind of a tough go for URI football lately, as you alluded to earlier when we were talking. It's one of the toughest conferences in the FCS as the CAA primarily kind of two to three win seasons outside of that six win 2018. But despite that, you guys are going to have at least three guys that are either going to get drafted or signed as priority free agents in April. That's you and receivers Aaron Parker and Isaiah Coulter. Aaron was with you during Shrine Week. If you were a scout, how would you break down his game?
0: I mean, to me, uh, Aaron Parker, he's a special player because his competitive nature is – there's not many people out there like him. Uh, he just brings that attitude every day and he wants to get better. He works hard. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen um, in person. And, um, you know, his just his IQ for the game, I feel like not many people realize how good he really is just all around. And because, um, especially at the East West Shrine game, I, w- I always looked over in practices sometimes, but even in the game, To me, he was one of the best receivers uh, uh, out there. And uh, he definitely proved himself that week. I'm just excited for what he
2: can um, show everybody. It's good to see you were watching out for him at the Shrine game. I I think that speaks a lot. Now, you know, we talked about the Virginia Tech game, and Isaiah Coulter had a tremendous game against Virginia Tech, and they've got some good defensive backs there. But I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people were surprised, especially when I talked to him at the Senior Bowl, that Coulter decided to enter the draft just give me a quick assessment or analysis, what you think are his skills, where he's best at or what he's best at, I should say.
0: I mean, Isaiah's is another special, uh, player. I, I was glad I got the opportunity to play with because, uh, he, he's a special kid. He's one of the fastest kids I've ever seen. And, um, he just has so much to prove too. And uh, I think there's a lot of questions why he left. And, um, why he should stay another year. But personally, I trust him, and I, I know what he, uh, he has the ability to do. And it's just – it's special having him and Aaron on the field at the same time because those are two people you can always rely on when it comes to a crunch time game situation. And, um, I mean, he was just proving himself all year. And I'm just – I'm just proud of him for, um, doing what's best for him. And I mean, there's more to come. I know definitely for that.
1: Now do you guys have any friendly bets or anything like that going on as to, you know, who's going to get drafted highest oh, those, or anything <laughs>
0: like that? He's going to get in trouble if he answers that. That,
2: that would help you a couple <laughs>
0: years ago. No, I mean, we're so close, uh, especially us three. And we just wanted to see like all of us make it, you know, um, we don't care who gets drafted, who doesn't, because we went through a lot of adversity at University of Rhode Island. And, um, you know, just like I said, we're just such close-knit friends. And, um, you know, we just always look out for each other, and we just want to see all of us make it. And hopefully, even be on the same team sometime. So, yeah.
1: Now, you got your invite to the East-West Shrine Bowl in November, yeah. heading into the Shrine Week what were you most looking forward to about the jumping competition and really getting to face a lot of FBS players?
0: You know, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people say this, but, you know, just proving that I belong there. Um, Cause I know when you're going up against those bigger school guys, I mean, I didn't show any fear, but um, to them, they just think that's an automatic win and just going in there like acting like I belong and proving I belong. I mean, to me, it, it, I feel like it shows scouts that um, I'm able to handle that competition. And I mean, I, did, I although I didn't play center as much as I wanted to there, um, I definitely uh, proved to them just by talking to them that I'm able to play multiple positions.
2: Well, I got to tell you, watching three days of practice, you absolutely proved that you you belonged to be there. And, uh, you you know, the Shrine Bowl made a great decision by uh, inviting you. Now, I watched you in one-on-ones, and most of the times I was glad to see that you won. Was there any one guy during Shrine game practice that you lined up against who was tougher than the rest? Uh, Definitely.
0: um, Especially going on uh, my first day at the one-on-ones, I felt like I struggled, and that's why from day one to day two I made the most improvement. But uh, one of the guys that really stuck out to me was um, one of the defensive ends who actually played inside a couple times during one on ones. The defensive end from Michigan, um,
2: Dan- like, Mike Dana. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was uh, he was definitely he had a quick twitch and he was very strong and he was efficient with his moves too.
2: Very athletic.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, there are some other components to Shrine Week as well. On top of the practices, obviously, you have some great weather in St. Pete, which isn't anything to shake a stick at, considering you're a Northeast guy like we are. You also make that trip to the Shriners Hospital. What was the whole experience like for you, not just the the on-the-field stuff, especially the hospital? Because I know that you're involved with the Special Olympics
0: as well. Yeah, it was just special going there, uh, especially to the Shriners Hospital, because I mean, all those kids, they looked up up to us, especially going there. But just being there for the hour and a half, two hours that we were there at the hospital, I mean, it really made you put into perspective, like how fortunate we are to especially just play the game of football, have opportunities that some of these kids may not have. Hopefully they're able to recover and have these opportunities, but I mean, just going there spending time with them was great it was like real special and um you know leaving there you realize that they think you're uh their their hero but i mean like they really are heroes because they go through a lot more um adversity than us and they're strong
2: now that aside you know in the end you were Obviously, one of the better offensive linemen down at St. Pete at the, at the Shrine Ball. Everyone was talking about you, your athleticism, your movement skills. Was there one big thing from practice that you, that you took away from uh, either the game or, or, or uh, the three days of practice? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, definitely that um, I still have a lot of things to work on. And definitely just to hone in on small things like my technique, using my hands better, and um, – you know just knowing that um i mean coming from fcs sometimes i relied on my strength but um yeah just realizing that um i i'm i feel like i'm i'm in a good situation right now but i can i can definitely get to another level if i really hone in on all my technique
1: now you talk about making improvements and you mentioned the hand usage. Is that the part of your game that you feel needs the most attention or is there something else that you may be focusing on leading up to the draft?
0: Um, I mean, another little thing that I noticed about myself that, um, definitely scouts and coaches could probably, uh, notice from me is just sometimes I tend to be a little too aggressive, especially in pass pro or something like that. So, um, you know, just working on being more patient at times. And um, yeah, like I said, using my hands a little better, that definitely um, is one of the things I'm going to hone in on um, going into all this.
2: I'm going to throw a question in here that Chris wasn't expecting because you did such a great job answering our questions. I'm going to give you a name of two players from the CAA, both from James Madison. And I want you to give me a a kind of a breakdown or, you know, what it was like trying to, uh, to uh, defend against these guys, Uh, Rondell Carter, who, uh, I believe played the NFL PA game and John Dacca, who a lot of people don't talk about, but he was a pass rushing demon for the last two seasons.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm real pissed because uh, I actually had to sit out that game this year because I, I rolled my ankle, but just playing them my junior year, those are two special players, especially being on the same team and being on the defensive line together. Um, DACA doesn't get as much credit as he deserves because he might not be as big of a a defensive end and D-lineman that um, a lot of people want him to be. But just his speed and um, he's actually real powerful, a lot more powerful than he looks, especially because I know a lot of people talk about his finesse and all his pass rushing. But when he wants to, he can really um, drop his hips and put power into – especially some his pass rushes and everything. And uh, Rondell, he's a special player too because he just has that awareness in football. He has that high motor that not many people have. And um, he had a great season. And um, especially it, it was tough watching uh, him and uh, John Daka. You know, they had a day against us, and I wish I could be out there to play him. Because uh, it was always a good matchup between me and him. I mean, I feel like my junior year, I was always going back and forth with both of them. They got me a couple times, but I always um, got them too. It's just fun because I love competing. So uh, it was tough watching them.
1: So back to kind of a little scouting report on yourself. We talked about what you feel needs the most attention moving forward. But what are your strengths? What can you hang your hat on that you go to an NFL team and say, this is what I'm going to bring to your locker room and to the field every day?
2: um
0: you know really just my uh I'm always willing to learn new techniques and um I feel like I I take what I learn in the classroom real well to the field, and um you know just playing I, I feel like I have a relentless motor I'm always playing to the whistle I'm not one of those guys that are always going to quit on blocks and um you know, one of my strengths that I always feel that like I did good at was just getting up to the second level and um, really getting to those linebackers and safeties when I needed to. And, um, you know, kind of just always playing with that competitive nature that knowing that I can compete against anybody that really helped me throughout my four years.
2: Now, you received the combine invitation, and uh, offensive linemen are always the first one in town in Indianapolis. Uh, and you're working out the test facility in New Jersey run by Kevin Dunn. And I've known Kevin for uh, for a while now. And so for our listeners who don't know, test is where Darnell Savage, the safety of uh, Maryland, who went yeah. in the first round last year, worked out before the combine. And he had a monster workout, which really elevated his uh, draft stock. Uh, remember, Savage ran in a low four threes, And I know, Kyle, well, we're expecting you to run the four fours uh, when <laughs> you get to the combine. I but but uh, all kidding aside, you know, take us kind of through your daily routine preparing for the combine. Now that we're, you know, a couple of weeks away before you depart for uh, Indianapolis.
0: I mean, yeah, they do a tremendous job. Not only Kevin, but just all the trainers that test. Um. Just preparing you, and just really focusing on your technique because a lot of us haven't learned it. So I mean, in the mornings we usually start out with doing some speed work and everything for about an hour, and every day is something different. Um, usually we start off like Mondays working on um, multi-direction or just working on our 40s and all that, or five ten five or L drill and. Um, I mean, they do a tremendous job just really showing us how we can cut our times down and wh- whether we're getting coached on the, on the field or just watching videos of our um, starts and everything. It's crazy how much you can just learn just from a little amount of time. Like we've already been learning and, uh, in the afternoons, we usually do our, our like, lifts and everything. And, um, I mean, it's really just
2: helping me out. Let me ask you, have you gotten the start down for the 40? Because that sometimes is going to cost a guy a couple of tenths because you come out of that start awkward. People are not used to it. Two feet down, one hand. You kind of come off balance. That is uh, usually oftentimes the difference between it's obviously the difference between a good 10 time and not a good 10 time, but it could also be the difference between a good 40 time. Have you gotten that start down? Do you feel comfortable yet?
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, going in, I feel like I didn't, I've never got taught that right 40 technique and that right 40 start and everything in stance. And, you know, just even at first taking mental reps, I feel like, because they always have us write the techniques down, step-by-step step in our notes on our phone. So as we're going through it, we can always get reminded of step-by-step step what we need to uh, focus on and do. And, yeah, just being here a couple of weeks, it really helped me and showed me how much I can cut my time down and just the right way to do things. Yeah, it definitely helped me.
1: Now, what kind of numbers are you hoping to hit during combine testing, whether it's the 40, the 10 split, the bench, the vertical jump? What are your goals
0: in certain drills? Um. I mean, definitely for the forty. Um, I always thought I was one of the quicker offensive linemen, so um, I'm just hoping to get, uh, you know, a sub five or or better, you know, during that forty, because I feel like I'm capable of that. Um, but especially with the bench, I'm definitely trying to get 25 or up. Um, I know I got pretty long arms, but I know I'm. I know I could reach that number.
2: Any ideas as far as a 10 split? Have you talked about that at all?
0: Uh, no, I haven't really um, really focused on my 10-yard split. I mean, we have been doing it, but I haven't really set any goals yet for the 10-yard split.
1: Now, Kyle, this was an absolute pleasure. I think we learned a lot about you today. Hopefully our listeners did as well. It was truly a pleasure, and, and thanks again for joining the show.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you having me. It was, it was definitely a good conversation and talk.
2: Thanks Kyle. I mean, it was great to see you stand out during shrine game practices after what was a solid, uh, solid senior campaign, solid, uh, real good uh, college career. And it's going to be nice to see, uh, at least one guy from Rhode Island show up at the combine. I can't remember the last time that happened.
0: I don't think, uh, we really had anybody for a while. If we've ever had anybody, I can't really tell you.
2: Well, represent URI well and, uh, Good luck moving forward. I'm sure we'll keep in touch with you. And we absolutely hope and expect to hear your name called at some point in the draft come April.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. It was nice meeting you both.
1: It was nice talking to you too, Kyle. Appreciate you coming on again. Yeah, thank you. Now we'll wrap today's show with a look at the final list of underclassmen who have declared for the draft. It was another record-setting year, 115 underclassmen entered the draft, broke the record of 107 setback in 2016. It's also the fourth year with at least 100 early declarations. And as always, with that high of a number, you're going to have some surprises on the list. Hawaii's Cole McDonald was probably the lone QB that really surprised me. 80 total touchdowns the past two seasons, but not really considered a high-end prospect. Miami wide receiver Jeff Thomas coming off a kind of tough season, as are all of the Hurricanes, really. He declared early. Michigan State wideout Cody White did as well. We already mentioned Isaiah Coulter. I was actually kind of surprised to see Missouri tight end Albert Okwabenom declared. He's a guy we've discussed in the past, as he has a lot of non-football interests that could have kept him in school. Mississippi State linebacker Willie Gay Jr. was another early entry, dealt with an injury and suspension this year, but still decided to throw his name in the ring. And a couple of safeties, Cameron Curl from Arkansas and Grayland Arnold from Baylor also made some interesting decisions. Obviously, Arnold, followed Matt rule out of Waco. So I'm sure that played a big part in his move to the NFL, Tony, who surprised you most of the underclassmen who declared,
2: you know, I I actually think that that final number I, I know when the NFL and I didn't see it. So when the NFL releases the list, uh, it's primarily uh, almost all division one guys. A lot of times they don't put the small school guys on there. And there were about six or seven, like we just talked about, Isaiah Coulter who entered the draft. I don't know that he's on the list. I've got to see the official list because I got like one sixteen, and I didn't even add in the, the punters or kickers yet, which leads me, you know, the one thing that was surprised with how many kickers, uh, how many punters entered the draft. There's like two or three in this year's underclassmen went to the draft, which is uh, a bit surprising. I was surprised that, uh, former South Florida receiver, Darnell Solomon, uh, entered the draft. He was suspended last year. He didn't play in 2019. He was a guy who, off the 2018 film, I thought uh, could be drafted. Uh, But he decided not to go back to school. Maybe he didn't have any options. I I was a bit surprised uh, that he entered the draft. I was also a bit surprised that Colby Parkinson uh, entered the draft from Stanford. Didn't have the greatest year in the world. I was told all along that the Stanford underclassmen were going to stay in school. Uh, Paulson Adebo stayed in school. Walker Little stayed in school. Colby Parkinson entered the draft. Granted it's not a very strong year for, for the tight end class. So maybe uh, Colby Parkinson gets selected higher in the draft than, uh, than he usually would because of the fact that uh, it is devoid of talent at the position, especially, you know, in, in those middle rounds.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned Parkinson there because obviously Little stayed and you know, granted he had an injury, which if the, he hadn't gotten hurt, he's probably in this year's draft. Paulson Adebo didn't have the year people expected, but he had a lot of first-round hype or at the very least early day two hype. Parkinson really hasn't had the same hype of either of those guys, yet he's the one moving on to the NFL level.
2: He's going to have to have some outstanding workouts to really not fall into the late rounds. Uh, he's a guy that, you know – he shows flashes, but I've never really seen him pull it together. So we'll see what happens.
1: And that's it for the 118th episode of the draft analysts presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe If you're enjoying the show? Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review and feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Another special thanks goes out to Kyle Murphy from Rhode Island for joining us on today's show. And we'll be back again next week to keep you updated on the latest draft news. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.